Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that samples as much as it can of the experiences of cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have news stories including car sales figures for February 2021. MG is a big winner. We have some interviews including the new Nissan Navara, a report on some interesting items and the price paid from a recent auction sale of classic cars and memorabilia. How much would you pay for a 1977 Honda Accord? I think you're in for a shock. And two more interviews. Should you buy a small Toyota car or their small SUV? And we go into a little more detail and background on the Mitsubishi van scoring a zero-star crash safety rating. And you can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. The month of February has again proved very promising for new car sales in Australia, with an increase in volume of 8% over the same period last year. MG continues to rocket up the charts, with sales for the first two months of 2021 up over two and a half times. They are now in the top 10 car manufacturers by sales volume in Australia, the first time ever only a little behind Volkswagen in ninth spot and ahead of some other well-known brands such as Honda and Suzuki. And for every one Renault sold, MG sold 10 vehicles, and they outsell Peugeot by nearly 25 to 1. MGs are made in China by the SAIAC, formerly known as the Shanghai Automotive Industry Corporation, and their success has helped China move up the table of country of origin for vehicle imports, from 7th to 4th in just one year. 2020 was a tough year, but it did not undermine the value of car companies releasing new models. Nissan had a poor 2020 with sales down 24%, when the overall market was down 14%. But they launched new versions of two of their SUVs. The new small Duke was released in May and resulted in a year's total sales increase by 44%. So far this year, the sales are up over eight times the same volume last year. The upgraded large Nissan Patrol arrived in November. In December, their sales were double the year before. Kia launched a new model of their large SUV, the Sorento. So far this year, sales are up two and a half times. And finally, the people mover market nearly halved in 2020, but market leader Kia launched an all-new Carnival in January 2021. In February, Carnival sales were up 57%. The car sales figures from VFAX for the first two months of 2021 show that total SUV sales are up 13%. The biggest winners are the very small SUVs, up 76%, and the very large, below $100,000, up 54%. In a small segment, there are four new models, the Yaris Cross, the Volkswagen T-Cross, the Ford Puma and the Kia Stonic. Mazda still leads the segment, but while it is selling similar volumes, its share of the segment has dropped from 60% to 35% because of the increased sales of other vehicles. 
The segment has some more distinctive, some say quirky, vehicles, such as the Nissan Duke in 5th spot and the Suzuki Jimny in 7th. The upper-large SUVs below $100,000 have only two vehicles, the Nissan Patrol and the Toyota Land Cruiser, and both are doing very well. The Australian Crash Testing Program, ANCAP, continues to rate a vehicle's safety on a scale of 0 to 5 stars, but they are also continually increasing the requirements to reach a certain star level. So a car that was rated as 5 stars a few years ago is unlikely to be as safe as a vehicle that achieved 5 stars more recently. In July 2020, Mitsubishi released their Express Van onto our market. It was an older design that has been sold in overseas countries and tested in Europe in 2015, where it achieved a 3-star rating. ANCAP has just crash-tested it to current standards, where it received a 0-star rating. Now, the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries condemned ANCAP for wasting money on a new test, but the public need to be informed about the importance of the time of the test, and this is a good way to show it. And this has been the news. Nissan's product lineup has multiple almost disparate personalities. There's a sports car, mainly the 370Z, there's SUVs, a few of those. There's a Ute, which they've just launched a makeover, that's the Navara Ute, and there's only one sedan, and that's in a currently a very niche market, the all electric leaf. Now 2020 it was a tough year, and Nissan sales declined more than average. So uh, where are they headed, and how much will this new Navara make a difference? Who better to talk about that than from osroma.com.au, our good friend Rob Fraser. G'day, Rob. David, how are you? Good. We both saw the presentation for the new Navara, an interesting trend that they started off with in what's happening with utilities and the models people are buying. Yeah, very much going up market, and we've seen that over the last few years with the introductions of models from Nissan themselves, the Warrior, you know, the, the Ford Raptor, the Toyota Hilux Rogue and Rugged. So, yeah, very much an upmarket trend. That's going for the features of more comfort and luxury more than just necessarily off-road capability. Look, absolutely, and I think we, we're seeing that. It'd be nice if they could actually, you know, someone could come up with something that really was like an SUV inside, but they're getting close. They're getting there. The Navara, actually, this generation, I think, was launched around 2015, but it's had a few makeovers. When it was first launched, one of its features for certainly the upmarket model was a coiled suspension, better driving, but that tended, with a bit of a load, looked like it was sagging terribly. They updated that. They've updated it a few times in the last, four, uh, what's that, six years? They have. It's been through a few iterations now, which is good, I guess, because what they're saying is that they're prepared to actually make the changes that are necessary for the market rather than waiting for, you know, the next model lineup. I think that's a good thing. They've dropped a couple of the base models, the variants. Yeah, look, I think that's also in line with the, the differing trends. You know, they've still got the single cab cab chassis for the for the tradies and the work, but, you know, even the entry level now is, is more upmarket. So... It's a, it's a complete trend moving up. It's a long way from the old days of the rugged ute, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> As we say, it's not just rugged. It's not even though they have these hero cars like the Warrior, which, by the way, they built 1,400. They sold them all. They've all been sold. And uh, there's going to be an announcement 
later as to whether uh, what may happen next. They wouldn't commit themselves when I was down on the launch, but uh, it something may be happening. Well, I think that would be with their FX4 model that replaces their Entrek. And I mean, I've got to say, I like the Navara. It was a well put together vehicle. It was very much integrated, and I hope they do do something along those same lines again. This upgrade, what were some of the critical features? I think safety was right up there, wasn't it? They've introduced a lot more safety features, uh, which is good. Interestingly, though, they're still lagging a little bit behind some of the market leaders like the, the Mazda BT-50 and the Isuzu. Hmm. You know, there's, there's a couple of things they don't quite have yet, like the radar cruise control, which they can't with that particular engine and gearbox they've got in there, and you know, speed side recognition, that type of thing. All grades are get a forward collision warning, an emergency braking, and a driver alert, which I think is good. But the upmarket grades, the ST, and those above that get blind spot, intervention lane departure warning, intelligent lane intervention. Oh, I should say most of these have the word intelligent before it, but I don't <laughs> feel the need to repeat that. Cross traffic alert, again, on the up, the higher models. I like that, that uh, if someone's walking behind you, or if a car is driving behind you, you know where to um, get out of the way. The, the engine and gearbox, that's still the same? Yeah, pretty much the same. I mean, I would have liked to have seen them come up with a bit more power and torque, but I'm a person that likes that 150-500 type, you know, barrier. Single turbo diesel has 120, and the twin turbo has 140 kilowatts. The newton meters is around the 400 to 450 that's not huge. We towed a bit and we carried around 350 kilograms in the back. It didn't seem to affect it too much. It seemed to ride rather well, actually. And I think you might well reinforce this with a little bit of load in it. It uh, actually makes it often feel just a little better. Oh, absolutely, yes. You mentioned the Pro 4X, the off-road package. Well, really, most of it is more to do with bling than it is off-road. You do get all-terrain tyres, which I presume are a little noisier on the road, but most of the other stuff is really bling, isn't it? Fender flares, roof rails, darkened exterior theme, a unique interior. It's not exactly aimed at someone with muddy boots jumping in from a river crossing, is it? No, look, it's not, and uh, as you said, it's all bling, and that's why I liked the Warrior, because it really, it took a lot of the, the uh, accessories that people would add as aftermarket accessories and added them in as part of the integrated engineering, and, um, you know, it really made it much better for four-wheel driving. And I think they are still looking at things like the Warrior as a separate from the Pro 4X. I think there might still be a, a Warrior announcement coming up it's priced around the, what's that, you can get into the trading model around the low 30s and goes up to about 62, I think, was uh, the thing. Is that well priced? Look, I think it meets the market. I mean, the, the top line models are really heading up around that mid-60s to early 70s type pricing. Hmm. Uh, but again, when you're at that sort of level, you, you want to expect all of the bits and pieces on there. And, you know, little things like even the Toyota Hilux Rugged X is missing out on a blind spot indicator. Uh. Something simple like that, whereas alternatively, the Isuzu D-Max or the Mazda BT-50, their safety features go across the entire range, which I think is essential. I mean, why should someone who buys an entry-level ute who is in it every day for work miss out on some of the important safety features? Rob, lovely to talk to you. Thank you.
Thank you, David. That's Rob Fraser from osroma.com.au, our expert in many things, including RVs, off-road, camping and touring around. This is Overdrive across Australia. We mentioned in last week's news the recent Shannon's online auction that saw 172 vehicle and memorabilia lots put up for sale with a total sale value of $10.7 million. We mentioned last week some of the more spectacular prices, but here are a few more we thought rather interesting. Someone bought a BP petrol pump for $4,850. And while on service stations, a Golden Fleece advertising ram, bit of an oldie, that sold for $805. Number plates are very expensive, and it seems like Victorian number plates are the ones that are being sold at the moment. If you have one that is only three digits, it will cost you around $140,000 to $150,000. Classic old Holdens, you could have got a 1954 FJ, which is actually modified, looked pretty lowered at the back. That went for $45,600, and even an EH was around that sort of figure. And then there was an FC Utility, $55,700. There was also a 79 Holden HZ Statesman Caprice. Now, if you've ever driven one of them, they're a big car, no question. Mainly a bigger boot added on to a normal Holden sedan. I never found them comfortable. Very thin, dangerous-looking steering wheel with sharp spokes, and a seat that certainly didn't hug you. This one, as I say, back from 1979, still went for $44,500. We mentioned in the news an XJ Jaguar, which sold for only $5,200. The more memorable Jaguar Mark II, often seen in period-style 60s and 70s British police dramas, once sold for $50,000. But of course the real classic Jaguars, such as the lovely Jaguar E-Type with a straight six-cylinder 4.2-litre engine and a coupe at that, that sold for $244,000. Now, our resident Jaguar lover, Chris from Melbourne, had to point out that a 1993 XJS Jaguar Coupe, which had the much better V12 engine, went for a good $66,000. Do we mention that Christopher does, in fact, have a XJS Jaguar convertible, in fact? But perhaps the biggest surprise was a 1977 Honda Accord Manual Coupe. They sold it for $36,250. I had to check with Shannon's to see if it was right. Apparently it is. In fact, our artist in residence, Dean Oliver, bought one back when it was new for about $6,500. This is a 44-year-old run-of-the-mill car. I didn't think they were that collectible. And you can see pictures of these on our Facebook site, Overdrive City. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, during last year, 2020, Toyota introduced a new passenger version of their Yaris, very smallest car they sell. 
But then not long later, they released the Yaris Cross, which is, again, a very small car, but this time one that can be classified as an SUV. But they're about four or $5,000 extra to get the SUV, and we all know that they are more profitable and why the car companies are more than happy to see the trend towards SUVs. Is it worth it? And should you think about buying the smallest SUV but uh, with the entry-level features or perhaps, for the same price, a passenger car with more features? To talk about that, who better than Alan Zervis from Gay Car Boys? G'day, Alan. How are you, David? Very well. You've been rather cynical, of course, that uh, the Yaris passenger car really doesn't have much future. I just can't see why anybody would pay so much for a small car that isn't, it isn't that it's not a good car. It is a very good car. Uh, but it's a good car for 17,000, not a good car for 32, which I think the top hybrid is. What they've done is put in a lot of safety features. The RACV, the Motoring Club of Victoria, has come out and said it is undoubtedly the safest car in that category, and it has really great technology. But here's the thing, Alan. If you buy one, you can get about $1,500 for the hybrid extra. Now, I reckon that that hybrid is very, very important. When we drove the Cross, you know, my concern about it was I found it under load when accelerating, not hard even. It was very noisy. It is very noisy. It's a 1.53 cylinder engine, but it it just feels very industrial. I've got a very strange firing pattern because it is just an uneven number of cylinders. Uh, In fact, five cylinders have the same problem. To me, they sound very rowdy. It sounds like it's really working hard, and perhaps the CVT gearbox adds to that as well, where you get the engine revving up high, you're not in a fixed gear, Mm. so you don't know what the engine sound means to the speed, and so you you get this great noise. But the thing is, Alan, you know, I, I, I like the Toyota hybrids. I think the hybrid makes... A reduction in it. The electric motor is taking a, a lot of that acceleration load and reduces the sound. I thought that was a good thing to have. Well, it's a very small electric motor, and this is a, a unique hybrid system. The RAV4 has something similar, but a larger version of it. Obviously, it's a much larger car, but it's a, an electric motor that sits over the back axle and powers the rear wheels only. So the only thing joining the front wheels to the back wheels is a cable. That's when you get the all-wheel drive version of it. Yeah, that's... uh, Correct. Which is really very clever. But the point about it is that I much prefer that. So if I had the choice of paying some extra money, I think I would get the passenger car with the hybrid options rather than the SUV in the base level. Do you mean the passenger Yaris? Yeah, the Yaris. Mm, I wouldn't get either. No, I understand, because they're very expensive. Well, I think it's expensive for what you get, David, and if your sole reason for buying a hybrid is to save money, then you could buy an entry-level, I don't know, say Kia or Hyundai or or even an MG, and spend the next 30 years driving around on the difference. There's no question that, for my mind, the hybrid, which comes with Toyotas, which comes with a bit of a price extra to it is 
undoubtedly it doesn't pass the very baseline cost benefit. But I love hybrids because they're quiet when you start and so on. The sales of the Yaris passenger car are way down. But yet I would still think that I would prefer to go for it rather than the base model Yaris Cross. So far this year, in two months, the Yaris Cross has sold 1,194. That's the SUV, little tiny SUV. The Yaris passenger vehicle has sold only 978. So the Cross is just a little bit ahead of it. But the thing about it was, a year ago, the Yaris passenger car was selling 2,200. The Yaris and Yaris Cross are Corolla prices. Well, that's right. So what would you rather? Would you rather uh, the Corolla also comes in a hybrid? So I suggest that buyers would be mad not to actually buy a Corolla if they're going to buy a Toyota. I think that's a very valid point. I was comparing within class, yet the Corolla doesn't look all that big. Well, this, I think the significant point is that you can actually get more car for your money. Mm. You can get a, a larger car with more space, almost as much tech, just by going up. And quite frankly, I prefer the dash of the Corolla to the dash of the Yaris. I prefer the interior of the Corolla to the interior of the Yaris. Uh, I certainly prefer the space. Corolla sales are down 8%, but that segment of the market, which is called small, but it's the third smallest it's not the very small that's down 21 percent that whole segment we've got small quite small and ballet shoe (laughs) and i'm not quite sure that you and i would be happy in a ballet shoe and frankly if i was i'd actually buy that little kia picanto picanto is in the very very small part absolutely booming its segment now that segment is actually up it's not a big segment at all Mitsubishi have the new Mirage in there. They don't even have it on the press fleet. I don't think they're proud to even show it. Fiat 500 is in there as well. Very small numbers. The Kia Picanto dominates. It's got nearly 80% of that segment. And, of course, when you and I went to that launch, they were hoping to make a significant inroad into it, but I think even they're surprised by 80% because that market was shrinking hugely until Picanto was released, because it gave people an opportunity to buy something cheap that was fun to drive, as opposed yeah. to cheap that was just, that's what you settle for, because it's all you could afford. I think value for money, even if the money is not a lot at all, there's still a certain amount of quality. It doesn't, it only has a four-speed automatic gearbox and what have you, but if you're tootling around the city, people probably won't notice. I understand Kia has never had a complaint about it, you know what you're getting and, and it suits well. Well, because it's cheap. It's cheap, you know, and, and the thing is it does what it says on the box. You're not getting any nasty surprises and it's got a good safety rating. The total passenger market is down 12.5%. So that shift to SUVs and utes is clear. There's no question of that at all. So, all right, Alan, let's come back after the break and talk about ANCAP. They're doing what I think is some reasonable things, but they're receiving some criticism. Indeed they are. You're listening to Overdrive. ANCAP has, ANCAP has just released the figures 
on a car that's being sold now, a van particularly, that has really in design been around for some time and its result has not been good. Alan, uh, what was the car and what was the result? David, I think this result was a surprise to everybody. Mitsubishi's Express van is brand new to Australia, but this model came out in around 2015, and that's when it was tested in Euro NCAP. Now, in order to keep current, NCAP now says that ratings are valid for just six years. So there's a couple of points here that we want to keep in mind. Ratings are only valid for six years. After that, they age off and it's no longer current. And fleet buyers, particularly government, require a five-star rating that is no older than three years. The great problem with ANCAP is that they still keep one to five as the ratings, but it becomes much harder to get into any one of those categories. So a five-star rating now is a much, much safer car than a five-star rating, I mean, even three years ago, let alone five or six. Well, quite right. And that brings us neatly to the Express van, which got zero. Zero stars, David. In other words, if you have even a minor accident in this car, especially from the side, chances are you're going to be seriously injured or worse. Certainly much more than others. Vans have always struggled with safety, haven't they? They, Well, for a long time. Not all of them, but certainly many of them have been designed first for practicality of carrying things, but not for defending the driver. Quite right, David. And the same thing goes for the other LCVs, the pickup-style trucks. Now, interestingly, Toyota retested their Hilux, which is their top-selling car, and in fact, it's the country's top-selling car, and that's now got five stars. It's got all of the active safety gear, the lane-keeping and autonomous emergency braking and so forth, and their high-ace van, which is the direct competitor to the Mitsubishi Express, also has five stars. So it's not that it can't be done. It's just that somehow or other, Mitsubishi saw fit not to do it. The industry body has come out and condemned ANCAP. What's their argument? Well, the argument seemed to me, and it was Tony Weber from the FCAI, which is, as you say, the industry body, seemed to be arguing that rather than get a zero car rating, the car shouldn't have been retested. He also seemed to suggest that it was ANCAP that forced manufacturers to retest and pointed out that a test can cost half a million dollars and up, which is true. So all I would say to that is, he's wrong. You spoke to ANCAP, didn't you? I did. I rang ANCAP yesterday to get a comment from them. I spoke to their uh, their PR person, and I asked what it was that ANCAP actually does, why they do it, and did they in fact demand that the car was retested? So the answer to that is, well, they have no power to demand anything of anyone, but that the reason that the ratings are six years now only is to keep the ratings current and to keep the safety standards current. And the truth of the matter is, if you had an accident between a five-star 2021 car and a five-star 2010 car, the 2010 car would probably injure you and the 2021 car probably wouldn't. An equivalent accident, no question of that. It's a little like we were talking the other day, Alan, about Tiger Woods. And he had that big crash in a Genesis and the front of the car, the nose is 
crumpled in significantly, and while he broke his leg, that's not anywhere near as significant as an older car would have done. 70 years ago, another golfer, Ben Hogan, had a major crash in a car, and he threw himself sideways to protect his wife. The steering wheel went straight back and hit the seat. It would have killed him, and that intrusion into the car, an intrusion of very solid things like a steering column into the car has all been removed, well, not removed, but it has been addressed so that the cars now are much safer in protecting the cabin space of people, and I think yeah. the Tiger Woods crash showed that. Exactly right. And of course, you know, I'm in one of those cars this week. I'm in the diesel version of the four-cylinder that he was in. Uh, and it feels solid and, and and sturdy. Interesting stuff. Alan, always lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. As always, David, thanks for having me. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Rob Fraser, Alan Zervis, Paul Just and the Overdrive team for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.